Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. So excited to be doing church with you today, and the title of this message is The Splash Zone, and when I first started thinking about this message, I thought, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring two of my big super soakers from home, and just come out, and first thing I'm going to do is just layer everyone with water, but then the pandemic happened, and there's nobody here except for a few staff, and honestly, I have to work with them, so if I, if I think that might not go so well for me, I might, might have some repercussions so here's what we're going to do. We're going to do this a little differently. And I actually want you to, to visualize something. So I'm going to ask you to, to close your eyes, whether you're at home. Unless you're driving, then don't close your eyes. But for everybody else, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And I want you to just to visualize something for a moment. And I want you to imagine yourself, hot summer day, you're lying on the beach, and you're out and enjoying the sun, and you're getting this nice suntan, and just, just sitting there and enjoying the rays. It's almost as if you can hear the waves lapping against the shore and the birds chirping in the air. Although I might be helping with that part. And, and you're sitting here and enjoying this moment and enjoying the sun and, and you get to this place where you're so warm and you think, I just want to be refreshed. And so I am going to go into the river. I'm going to go walk out into the water and you start walking out into the water and you get up to about your waist and you start splashing yourself and just putting this warm water all over you and you feel so refreshed. Now, I hope you're visualizing that. Now, normally for me, at this point in the story, it turns to, to terror because usually Derek is somewhere hiding and he comes out and dumps a big bucket of ice cold water on me. Actually, that often happens before I even, that's when I'm lying on the beach and that's when that happens. But, uh, you know, here we have this picture of us enjoying, and I hope you can visualize that, enjoying the sun, and I know that feels so far off in some ways. Uh, on the other hand, it's, it's just around the corner, and we're going to be there soon. And you're enjoying the sun, and you're just enjoying this, the water, and walking in, and, and, and getting into the splash zone. And that picture that you saw in your mind is actually similar to a picture we see in Ezekiel. And I want us to read this passage together in Ezekiel 47. And, and here's what we have, is we have this man named Ezekiel, and he's having a vision from God, and it's actually several chapters long. He's having this vision, and, and in this vision, a man is showing him different things, and he's taking him to different places, and at one point, he takes him to the temple. And so here's where we're going to pick up the story. It's in Ezekiel 47, verses 1 to 12, and it says this. It says, In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and there I saw a stream flowing east beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right to the altar on the south side. And the man brought me outside the wall through the north gate and led me around to the eastern entrance. And there I could see the river flowing through the south side of the east gateway. So I just want you to make sure you get this image in your mind. You have the temple and the river is flowing out from the temple. And then what happened is this in verse 3. It says, measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet or 1,000 cubits if you want to know the actual number. But none of us know what cubits mean, so it's converted to feet. So he took us 1,750 feet and he led me across. So imagine walking along the shore of this river, 1,700 feet. And then he led him across and, this, and it was up to his ankles. And then he measured off another 1,750 feet. So he came back out, walked down 1,700 feet, came back in. And this time, it was up to his knees. And then he did it again. And he walked out 1,750 feet, came back in. This time, it was up to his waist. And the last time, it says, then he measured another 1,750 feet. And the river was too deep to walk across. 
It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. And he asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back to the riverbank. So now he's back on the shore. And, and, and he's starting, I think, walking back towards where he started. And says, when I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. And then he said to me, the river, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of the stream will make salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things. Now take note of the living things because we're going to come back to that. Wherever the water of this river flows, fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever the water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, and all the way from Engedi to Eglium, the shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea, just as they fill the Mediterranean. But the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. Fruit trees of every kind will grow along the banks. And once again, just take note of the fruit trees. So they are going to grow along the sides of the river. And these leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall. They will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month for the water of the river flowing from the temple. And the fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. Now, I understand this passage, and we see this picture of this river flowing from the temple, and we see trees growing all on the side with fruit and life and all these things, and we see this picture. And I understand that this picture that we're looking at right now in our mind in Ezekiel is actually a prophetic picture of the future. And someday there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and this is a picture that we're going to see, you know, these trees growing and the fruit and all these kinds of things. And it's actually very similar in Revelation 22. You see a very similar picture, a picture of the river flowing from the throne of God, and you see trees, uh, the trees of life on the sides of the river, and it says the leaves are for the healing of the nations. And So we see this picture uh, in, in Revelation as well. And so even though this picture... Is, is a futuristic picture and it's prophetic about what God is coming, what is going to come in the future. I still think there are things that we can look at that speak volumes to us today. And, and although it's a future thing, I think there are some things that we need to take notice of. And specifically, it's about the river and what exactly this river is. And so there's a few things, if we're going to try to dis- discover this river and discover what this river is all about, there's a few things we need to notice I- when we look at this passage. And the first thing we see over and over again is that this river, it talks about it bringing life. It brought life everywhere it went. And so we see that's one of the qualities of this river. It brought life. It, it, it was what brought life to the trees. It brought life to the fish. It brought life everywhere it went. We see that there was healing. Uh, you know, throughout this thing, we see the, the leaves were for healing, and so we see healing as a part of it. But we also see this whole thing about different depths, and that, that he took him and he took Ezekiel to these different depths of the water. And so when you start to look at these properties and you think about these things that we just talked about, then I think it becomes a clear, it becomes clear exactly what this river is. And I want to show you in a few passages here in Jeremiah 17, uh, verse 12, and it says this, But we worship at your throne, eternal, high, and glorious. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who turn away from you will be disgraced. They will be, they will be buried in the dust of the earth, for they have abandoned the Lord, the fountain of the living water. So the Lord is the fountain of the living water. Let's look at John seven thirty-seven and 39. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scripture declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. 
And when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, who would be given to everyone who believed in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered his glory. So we we know what this this river is. We know that this river in one form or another is a reflection of the Holy Spirit. It's, It's super clear. We can see... We can see it over and over again in, in the Gospels and we, when we read through the Scripture. And, and we see all these same characteristics that we see of the river, we can see in the Holy Spirit as well. Clearly, clearly the Holy Spirit brings life and you know, lots of verses about that. We also know that the Holy Spirit, one of the gifts of the Spirit, is the gift of healing. And here we have these trees that are growing and the leaves are, are for healing. And so that, that bears witness as well with, with the Holy Spirit. But what about the different depths? When you look in the scripture, when you see these Ezekiel, these different depths of water, well, what, what, what does that mean? And how does that relate to the Holy Spirit? And I personally believe we can see that in scripture as well. And I think when we look at scripture, we can see that there are different levels to our interaction with the Holy Spirit. And let me just, let me just show you this. And, and here, we'll look at the first one. We have one level. And if we look in John chapter 20, verse 22, it says, Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is, the, this is the point in, in, in the story when Jesus had died on the cross and he was raised again and now he was spending time with his disciples and, and they had now become Christians because they believed in what he had done. And this is what we had just read a few verses ago about Jesus saying that when he comes, then all, all who believe will have the Holy Spirit. And so he breathed on his disciples and they received the Holy Spirit. But then we see this other level, level that we know about. And if we read in Luke 24, verse 49, it says, Now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from, unheaven, from heaven. And so, you know, this is almost, almost confusing. On the one hand, did they have the Holy Spirit or did they not have the Holy Spirit? Well, clearly they, they did. And, and they had the Holy Spirit and Jesus breathed on them and they had the Holy Spirit. But then Jesus tells them, now wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know because we've read Acts and we know what happens and they're in the upper room and the power of the Holy Spirit comes and there's tongues of fire and they start speaking in other tongues and tons of people get saved. And, and so we see... There's a second level, there's something more, there's, there's more of the Holy Spirit than what they had just received when they got saved. And so there's at least you know, two levels of the Holy Spirit in a, in a sense. But I still think there's another level even still. And it's in Ephesians 5.18 and it says, it says, Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, just, just so you have this in context, you, you know, Paul's writing this letter to the Ephesians. Uh, you know, Ephesian Christians, and many of which would already be baptized in the Spirit. Many of which would have been saved and been baptized in the Spirit. So they've already experienced these, these things. And he is telling them to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you look into the Greek in this, it's actually written in the present imperative. And I'll tell you what that means. It means it's a command, but in an ongoing way. It's something that is an ongoing aspect to this command. And what Paul is actually saying when he wrote this to the Ephesians, he's literally saying uh, to be filled with the Spirit or keep being filled with the Spirit or continue to be filled with the Spirit. That would be a better way to translate this passage. And there's this sense about the fact that we need to continue. There is more and more and more of the Holy Spirit that we have to continue to be filled with the Spirit. It's not just about we, we've been baptized in the Spirit and now we're good and now we're done. No, there is more of the Holy Spirit that he has for us. There is an ongoing measure of the Holy Spirit. And so to me, what seems really clear is when we look through this, this passage and we, we start to understand who the Holy Spirit is, that the river is clearly speaking about the Holy Spirit. He's clearly speaking about 
the fact that God, uh, that the Holy Spirit is there for us. And, and you know, if, if we look at life in general, and if you were to try to sum up our reason for existence, our reason for being on this earth, what God is doing in us, you really could, you could really use one word to describe, describe our reason for being, and it's actually about relationship. The fact that God act, wants to have a relationship with us. And he created the whole world, and he created it, and created us so he could have a relationship with you, he could have a relationship with me. It sort of blows my mind away, to be honest with you, when I think about it. You know, if any one of us, if you could take a moment, and whoever, whoever for you is, is the most, you know, the person you look up to, the person you would love to maybe to spend an hour with or to spend a day with, and you could say, hey, if I could have one hour with this person, I could just ask them questions or just spend the day with them and, and you know, figure out their life. I, you know, we, who wouldn't take that opportunity? You know, even if it was somebody in history, if we could go back in time, you could spend time. We would, we would all do that. We would all take that opportunity to go and to spend time with, with this person. And here we have the ability to actually have a relationship with God, to, to, to have a relationship with him, to get to know him, to spend time with him, not just for a few hours, not just for a day, but for forever, for all eternity. And, and, and not only that, he wants to spend time with us. You know, we've all seen those those, those times when you see a commercial or you see this, this video online of somebody seeing somebody famous and trying to get their picture with them, and you can tell sometimes they're just humoring them. They're just like, hey, hurry up, get this thing, and get out of my way. But God actually wants to have a relationship with us. He actually wants to spend time with us. And that's the whole purpose, the whole purpose and the reason we've been created. And so what happened here is Jesus, when he died on the cross, he made a way for the Holy Spirit to come and work in our lives. And the Holy Spirit is our access to God. It's our access to the temple. The, the, the river flows from the temple, from where the Father is. And Jesus made that way. He opened that floodgate so the river could flow. And it's our access to, to, to the Lord. And it's our access to relationship. And when Jesus died, the river started flowing all around so we could have access to the splash zone whenever we wanted. Direct access to have to God himself. You know when I think about rivers, and sometimes what I like to do is I like to just watch rivers on the internet, because when I'm doing that, I'm watching a live stream. <laughs> I, was, I, I was expecting booze. All right, here, let me, let me try another one here. I like throwing my money into the river, because I love studying, um, I love studying, wow, I lost it, I love studying my cash flow. Uh, okay, let's try another one, that one, that one didn't go as well. Where do, where do fish keep their money? Well, in the riverbanks. Okay, that was a boo one, I know that was a boo one, but this one, this one is a good one, I promise you, this one's a good one. Why don't the hipsters want to swim in the river? Because they're too mainstream. Okay that, okay, that one was a good one. I, I know, I, I know, you're watching that. The good news is I'm protected from the screen. And so when you're throwing the tomatoes, they only hit your screen and not me. So that's, that's what works out well. All right, so there's three things that I want to talk about today in regards to the splash zone. And the first thing we need to do is to take the plunge. The second thing is to presume. And the third thing is to progress. Yes, they are all peace. Clearly, Pastor Mark has become a bad influence on me. And you can pray for me. All right, so the first thing I want to talk about is taking the plunge. And, you know, we, the only, what we have to do is to start. We have to get into the river. We have to get wet. It's really that simple. And, and there's lots of different ways that we can take this plunge. There's lots of different things that we can do to get into the river. But I want to just focus in on a few of the main ones. And like I said earlier, the whole point 
of everything is relationship. God wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us. He wants to get to know us. And, and so what we typically think when we, when we think of, okay, well, how do I get into the river? How do I have a relationship with God? We look to the normal things and we think, okay, that means I have to spend more time praying and spend more time reading my Bible. What might surprise you to know is that obviously I think those are good things. I actually don't think those are the main ways or the only ways for sure that we actually have relationship with God. Now, clearly I think that's a good thing. Clearly I think we need to spend time reading our Bibles and clearly I think we need to be spend time praying. But, you know, and I've talked about this before. I've talked about the fact that, that you know, a big problem when we, when we think about relationship with God and our time praying and, and reading our Bibles is that we always compare ourselves to somebody else and we, we hear how somebody has this relationship and they, they go and they spend 20 minutes at breakfast and 20 minutes at lunch and 20 minutes at the end of the day and, and they read their Bible for hours every day and we think, how do I, how do I measure up to that? How do I, how do I live that way? And the reality is that we each have to develop our own relationship with God. We can't compare ourselves to the way other people have their relationship with God. We can't, that, it just doesn't work that way. And everyone has their own relationship. And we don't compare ourselves to, in marriage relationships, to other people. And, you know, one couple relates one way, another couple relates another way. And same thing is true with us and God. We relate differently. And, and so the way one person relates with God and another, they're different. And so we, we don't want to compare ourselves. But we do need to create some disciplines in our life. There's no doubt about it. We need to work on those disciplines spending time reading the word and spending time praying. So clearly I think that's a good thing. But I think there are lots of other ways as well that we take the plunge. And there's lots of other things that we do that get us into the splash zone. And, and I want you to just imagine something for a moment. Imagine you're, you're a married couple. And, and obviously the goal of, of, of a marriage is, is relationship. That's the goal. You want to have, have a relationship with your spouse and that's, that's the goal. And so that's what you do. And so I want you to imagine for a moment that as a married couple, here's what your day looks like. You take 20 minutes every day and you talk together. And then you don't see them or talk to them or interact with them in any other way for the rest of the day. And you just go about your day and you don't do life together. You don't do anything together. All you do is you spend 20 minutes a day talking together and then that's it. And you, know, you don't do projects together. You don't have fun together. You don't struggle together. None of those things. Well, clearly... Clearly, that's not a good relationship. That relationship is meant to be so much more than just spending a few minutes talking every day. It's actually meant that we would do life together. And if that's true for a married couple, it's true for us in the Holy Spirit as well. In fact, we're, we're referred to as the bride of Christ. That, that's who, who, God, who, who God says we are. And so relationships work the same way. Which means if we want to grow in our relationship with God, the same rules apply. We need to do things together. We need to do projects together. We need to do life together. We need to struggle together. We need to have fun together. Yes, we can have fun with the Holy Spirit. We need to do life together and include the Holy Spirit in our life and these different things that we're doing and, and, and make him part of it. And, and you know, here's the thing. It's actually not complicated when it comes to inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives and inviting him to be part of what we're doing, it's actually not a complicated thing. It's actually quite simple. And it literally is just about verbalizing it sometimes and talking to him. And you know, as you're about to go into a meeting that you know, you know is going to be a challenging meeting, you say, Lord, as I go into this meeting, Lord, please be with me in this. Or, or as you're about to um, you, you know, go for a walk, you know, talk to him and say, God, hey, on this walk with me, I, I just want to be with you for a few minutes. Or, or, you know, or even visualizing him. You know, sometimes that's a helpful thing to just take a moment and visualize 
God with you, standing there next to you. And, and if we take a moment and do that, we're actually not making something up. He literally is there. He is everywhere. He is omnipresent. So the Holy Spirit, God, he is with us everywhere we go. And so if we take a moment and visualize him there with us, we're not actually making something up. We're just helping us to, uh, to make something that's already happening and already true become a reality for us. And when we do these things, one of the things I, I see Pastor Aubrey do all the time in the office, I see him walking down the hallways, and, and sometimes he's just sitting there, and I can hear him praying in tongues as he's walking down the hallway. And it's this incredible thing. And what's he doing? He's including the Holy Spirit in his life, just making him part of his everyday life. And this is what we need to do. It's not a complicated thing. We just need to include them. And so when we do those things, we're taking the plunge. But the other thing that we can do to take the plunge into the river is when we do things for the Holy Spirit. And when you do something for your spouse, that helps to develop your relationship with your spouse. It's just the way it is. I want to tell you something that in, in my home that, uh, that happens often. And, you know, just you know, bear with me. I'm, I'm your, your typical stupid husband and doesn't figure things out until you know I've been married for over 25 years and I'm still figuring this thing out and and one of the things that my wife super appreciates is when I take out the garbage and and if I take out the garbage when it's full she she appreciates it even more if I take it out and she didn't ask and if she didn't ask me to take it out and and she comes home and she notices that I took the garbage out it's huge brownie points and you know happy wife happy life it works for me and so that's what I need to try to do but here's the problem, and this is where I'm not very smart, because what, what, sometimes what will happen is we'll be sitting around in the table, we're sitting at supper or something like that, and she'll say, hey, the garbage is full. And I'll walk over to the garbage can, and I'll look at it, and I'll go, it's not full. And I push it down, and there's still a few more inches in here. What are you talking about? It's not full. And, uh, and, and so she just humors me. And, and so in my mind, you know, one thing, Pastor Aubrey tells me this sometimes too, I'd be, make a good Mennonite, even though I didn't grow up Mennonite, because I'm super cheap. And, and, and all I can think about is, why would we throw this garbage bag out yet? There's still room for more. And so I push it down, and I want to get more in there. And so I go do that. But then, you know, inevitably what happens is I, you walk away, and it pops right back up again. And, and it starts to stink, and all these kinds of things. And and so she just wants me to take out the garbage. She just wants me to take it out and not do the press down thing. But here's, here's the problem that's going through my brain. Is I'm, on the one hand, I know if I take the garbage out, my wife will be happy. But on the other hand, if I get more in it, I save 30 cents. And I have this debate going on, which one is worth more? Pleasing my wife or saving 30 cents? And here's the problem. Oftentimes, I choose the 30 cents. I don't even know why. I don't know why I do it. And I'm trying. I'm, getting, I'm starting to figure this thing out. 25 years. Now I'm figuring it out. And I'm starting to take the garbage out more and press it down less. But the reality is, when I do that for my wife, it establishes, it strengthens our relationship. And when we do things for God, the same thing happens. When we serve him. It strengthens our relationship. When we give, when we give in our tithes and our offerings, when we give financially, that strengthens our relationship with God. When we, when we uh, help in other, others around us, when, we, when we're obedient, when we do the things that we know he wants us to do or stay away from the things we know he doesn't want us to do, all of these things, they strengthen our relationship. They help us to take the plunge more and more into the river. 
And these are not actually hard things to do, but we have to be delivered about it. And here, here's the reality. There's lots of different ways. I've just focused on a few of them. But there's lots of ways that we can take the plunge. Worship. We can worship God. That takes the plunge. There's lots of different ways to take the plunge and, and to, to build and strengthen our relationship with God. It's actually not a hard thing to do. But it, actually, it won't happen if we're not deliberate. And the reality is simple because our tendency is always to think about ourselves. That's what we do. We think about ourselves and our needs and our wants. It's, it's always going to be our default. It's always going to be the thing that we, we come back to. And if we are not deliberate about it and we don't make a conscious choice to say, okay, I want to get in the river. I want to spend time. I want to establish my relationship with the Holy Spirit. Then it won't happen because we have to make the choice. So it reminds me of this, this Sunday morning. There was this preacher preaching and and he was just all up in arms about alcoholism and he looked at the world and he saw this alcoholism and he started preaching and 10 minutes into this message he, he, he's getting more and more animated and he says, I wish if I had all the beer in the world I'd throw it in the river and then he keeps preaching another 10 minutes and you can tell he is working up a sweat he is getting more and more animated as he goes if I had all the wine in the world I'd throw it in the river and, and he keeps going for another 10 minutes and then he says, if I, had all the, if I had all the whiskey in the world, I'd throw it in the river. And you know, he, he sits there and he keeps preaching. A few minutes later, he's done. And he says, amen. And he sits down and you can see the sweat dripping off of off his forehead. And the choir director gets up, this sort of sheepish smile on her face, and says, all right, congregation, let's stand together and open your hymn book to number 134. Let's all gather at the river. <laughs> All right, so the first thing we have to do is we have to take the plunge. The second thing we have to do is to presume. And the word presume it means to understand with an unwarranted boldness. And really, it basically is this. It's about having a confidence and a trust in the fact that God is the river, the Holy Spirit is the river, and he is going to do a good thing in us. And it's interesting when we look at this, this passage in, in this vision that Ezekiel has, that as he's taking, uh, taken along this river, it specifically shows these different depths in the river. And, you know, we all know how this works. We know how a river works. The deeper you go in the river, the more you feel the effects of the river. It's not a lake. There's a current that's going. And, and so the, the deeper you go in, the more you feel the effects. And if you are all the way in, if you are where you can't walk anymore, you are at the full mercy of the river. The only option is to go with the river and to trust and have a confidence in where the river is taking you. And, you know, I have this, there's this interesting story about a man named Reese Howells from the early 1900s. And he was this incredible man of faith and saw all kinds of uh, these amazing things happen. In fact, he was, one of the things that God used him for was in Africa in 1915. He was, there was this influenza pandemic happening around him. And, and God just did this incredible protection of their community. And, and uh, but one of the things for Reese Howells was for him was something that the Lord had spoken to him about, is that he felt like he could never ask anybody for help. He actually was not allowed. He felt like the Holy Spirit had said, I don't want you to ever let people know your needs. You don't let them know if you have a financial need. You don't let them know if you have a, uh, of a, a food need. You don't let them know if you have any need. And he felt like the Lord had told him and instructed him to live completely by faith. And he has all kinds of stories about his life where God has shown up and done these just sort of amazing things in his life. And in one of the stories I want to just focus in on in a moment is he, he had a, to take a train back home to, to London, which is where he's from. And, and the problem was he only had enough money to get partway there. He didn't have enough money to get all the way home. And so he just said, well, then I'm just going to go as far as I can go. And so he bought a train ticket for as far as he could, and he got partway home. 
And then he arrived at that station and, uh, you know, sat there in the station waiting for the next train to come and figuring out, okay, God, how, how am I going to do this now? How am I going to get the rest of the way home? And so as he was sitting there and waiting, he felt like the Holy Spirit prompted him and said, well, if you had the money right now, what would you do? And he thought to himself, well, I'd get up and I'd go in line to buy a ticket. And so he, the Holy Spirit prompted him again and says, great. Go, to, go get in the line. So here he is. He's sitting in the line, and he's standing there in this line, and there's about 12 people in the line. And, and, you know, he's doing the same thing that each and every one of us would do. You're sitting there, and your mind starts to run through, what am I going to do? I'm going to get to the end of the line. I'm not going to have any money. And the enemy's playing tricks on him and, and all that kind of stuff. And slowly what's happening, one person after another, is, is the line's getting shorter and shorter, and people are buying their tickets and getting on the train. And so he's at this point where there's only two people left in the line in front of him. And all of a sudden, this, this other person in the line kind of gets frustrated and goes, that's it, I can't take, take it any longer. I have a shop to open, I have to go. And he turns to Reese Howells, takes 30 shillings and puts it in his hand and says, I have to go, here you go, and walks away. And of course, now Reese has the money he needs to get on the train and buy this ticket and, and, and get home. And, and here was this man who lived his life that way, lived this life by extreme faith. You know, in many ways, you could say he was clearly in the river where he can't touch. And he was just trusting the flow of the river and trusting that God would take him everywhere he went. But one of the things that's interesting to me about this passage we see in Ezekiel is that there is no sense of the, the deep part of the river being good and then the shallow part of the river being bad. We don't actually see that sense. In fact, if we look at this passage again, in verse 6, he said, He asked me, Have you been watching, Son of Man? And then he led me back along the riverbank. And when I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. It almost seems like he took him back to where he started. And either way, we see these, these trees growing down both sides all the way down the river. That's the picture that we see. And, and they're, they're growing in the, in the, in the ankle-deep water as much as they seem to be growing in the deep water. And here's my conclusion from this. See, I don't think we are all called to live like Reese Howells. I just don't think it's true. I don't think God has called every one of us to live that way where we would completely throw everything away and completely abandon and have this full confidence and, uh, and God has to do everything and we're not going to do any of those things on our own. But God has called some people to do that. And I think that God has called us to, to live at different parts of the river. And that's just the reality of it. And I don't know of anybody like Reese Howells that's currently doing that right now. And we hear stories like that and we go, wow, that, that's, that's incredible. But how does that relate to me? Because I don't live there. That's not what God has called me to do. But here's how I think it relates to us. Because although we're not all called to take these incredible steps of faith, it actually doesn't, a small step of faith in obedience is just as valuable as a large step of faith. And the reality is, even if we are in the water up to our, our knees, we still feel the effects of the Holy Spirit. We still feel the effects of the river. We can feel it pulling us. And our tendency when we're in that kind of thing is to brace ourselves and to resist a little bit. That's just what we do in the river. You know, you brace yourself, you resist, you try to push back so that you don't get caught in the stream. And I think the reality is what we're supposed to do is it doesn't matter at what level we're in, but we're supposed to cede control to the river. That's the whole point. And when the Holy Spirit is impressing things upon us and asking us to step out and asking us to do things, that we're supposed to say yes to him and allow him to push us along and allow us to take these steps of faith and allow him to do these very things So and presume that he's going to take care of us. Because the reality is, 
He's actually going to do a better job of taking care of us than we're going to do ourselves. We, just, we know that's true. We, we don't always do the greatest job of taking care of ourselves. And if we presume that he will take care of us and we trust him and cede control, then things will go so much better for us when we allow him to control us. So the first thing we need to do is take the plunge. The second thing we need to do is to presume. And the third and the last thing we need to do is we need to, to progress. And the way we progress is honestly very simple. It's just about the, about the amount of time you spend in the river. And the more time you spend in the river, the more he changes you. And John verse 15, verse 5 says this. It says, yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. When we remain in him, we saw these pictures of the fruit growing along the river. When we remain in him, the fruit will grow on our lives. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but we know this verse, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against these things. The more time we, we take, the more times we take the plunge, the more time we spend in the river, the more he is going to change us and make us more and more into his image. Because one of the effects of being in the river is that the Holy Spirit changes us. I want to close with, with one final story. And before I, before I started at Church of the Rock, I was in this really challenging uh, church situation. And it's a complicated story. And I, I'm not going to get into all the details. But basically, what it, what it came down to was the fact that I had a different vision than some of the other, other guys had for the church. And, and there was a whole bunch of things that I did wrong in that situation. And it was going south quickly. And, and I look back and I have, you know, I have my regrets and I have the things that I would do differently and, and wished I could have said some things differently and acted differently and all those things. And, but there's one thing that in the middle of that story that happened that I know I did right. And I, I know you would rather, you'd rather hear all the stories of what I did wrong, but they don't actually serve the purpose of, this, of the point I'm making for this message. So I'm actually going to focus in on the one that I did right. And you'll have to hear about all the ones that I did wrong some other time. And, and, you know, I have to give you a bit of context just so you, you know where I'm coming from because this was, I was young in the ministry. I'd only been a pastor for a few years and, and I was working part-time at the church and I had a part-time other job. And so, uh, you know, that made up my full-time job and my wife was working full-time. But we had just discovered that, that she was pregnant and, and we were about to start our, our family and, and ha- have our first child. And so we were about to lose that two income and not only go to one income, but go to half an income because I was, I was about to lose my job. And I was about to be fired from this church. And, and, and on top of that, you know, you, I started thinking about it and processing it. And, and as I'm imagining this thing, I'm going, so how am I ever going to find another job at a church what, what church is going to want to hire a pastor that's been fired from another church? And so the more I looked in the natural at my situation, the more I realized and, and you know, had this nervousness about what, what does my future even look like? How am I going to move forward with this whole thing? And so that's the context. That's where I was at in this moment. And I had this board member that actually was this great guy and, and cared a lot about me and, and, and you know, was concerned for me. And so he wanted to meet with me and we met together and 
And we were sitting at a restaurant having coffee, and, and he started describing the situation. And, you know, he, he knew, the writing was on the wall. We all knew what was about to happen. I was, I was about to get fired. And he was concerned about my future, the very thing that, that I was concerned about when I was thinking about it. He was concerned, what are you going to do? How are you going to make it forward? And so, you know, he came up with this plan, and here's what he wanted me to do. He wanted me to just sort of bow out and resign and, you know, own some things and, and just sort of take, you know, responsibility and, and, and step out of the way. And that way, hopefully, I could save face and not have to, to you know, go through any, any hardship. But here was the problem. That felt like, a, that felt like contrary to what I felt like I, I was supposed to do and contrary to what I thought was the right thing. And, and, you know, the one thing is, in this moment, I was in the river more than I'd ever been. Because when we're in struggles and when we're in hard times, that's when we go, right? That's the easy time to go to the river when we're struggling and, and when we're wrestling and we're going, God, I need your help. And, and so, I, I mean, I spent so much time praying and reading the Bible and just being with him because I was desperate. I was desperate for him to move. And, and so here I am in this meeting with this board member, and he's trying to encourage me to, to sort of bow out. And this faith rose up within me and this confidence rose up within me and I remember it like it was yesterday sitting in that restaurant and him sharing these things and I just said you know what honestly I'm so not worried about this God's got a plan and no matter what his plan is he's going to take care of it he's going to take care of me and it's okay and I have full confidence in God's plan and so the the board member left and the next day I was fired (laughs) and that was it and here I am now in this place where I am in the deep end and I have to just trust God but what happened next, <laughs> what happened next is I ended up having coffee with Pastor Keith. And a few months after that, I ended up being hired at Church of the Rock to become the youth pastor at Church of the Rock. And I went from what was a really challenging situation to an even worse one. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The, uh, you know, here I came. Honestly, Church of the Rock is one of the most incredible churches I've ever seen. I feel honored and privileged to be here and to be a part of what God is doing in this place. But even more important than that, I started to walk in my potential, in, my, in God's purpose for my life, because I was willing to just say, God, I trust you, and I have confidence in you, and, and, and I'm walking in, 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 in these things, and I'm you know, feeling the fulfillment and all those things, because God is, is in control, and I'm trusting him for that, that final step. And so here's the thing, if we are willing to take the plunge, and if we are willing to presume, to trust God with what he wants to do in our lives, we will progress. And not only will you have this incredible relationship with God that created the universe, he wants to have a relationship with you, you will also be led into these incredible purposes that God has planned for you and for your life. Amen. Amen. Uh, Here's what I want to do. I want to give you a moment, and I know there's some of you watching right now, and you don't actually have a relationship with God, but you'd like to. And you're hearing me talk about that, and you're hearing me talk about having a relationship with the God that created the universe, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And honestly, it's really simple. You just start by asking him. You say, God, will you, I invite you in to my life. And so there's a, there's a little button coming up, and you can click raise hand. And, and if you click that button, uh, you know, we're going to pray together in a moment. But you're making that decision when you click that button. You're saying, God, I want to do that. I want to start this journey with you. So what we're going to do is we're going to say a prayer together. And I'm going to say the prayer, and you can repeat it from, after me, right from your home. And so let's just take a moment and do this together. Lord Jesus, I come to you. I know I'm a sinner, and that I need you, and I'm far from you. But I want to have a relationship with you. I want to get to know you. 
And so today I invite you into my life and I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Well, God bless you. Thank you so much for being a part of church with us. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app. 